everyone. Welcome to another week of Antidote Stories in Medicine. This is your host, Christine. I am glad to be recording again. It has been like six months and I'm pretty rusty, so bear with me. But this is going to be another interesting episode. I have been really surprised by how many downloads and uh, new listeners I've been getting over my little hiatus. So thank you, everyone that's been listening. Um, this is going to be a very, how do I explain this? This is going to be just a very interesting episode, I guess. Or it's going to be a little bit different because a lot of times we talk about cases, but we're going to really talk about how people get into medicine. And I think the best way to start this episode is to talk about uh, an email I got. So listeners will send me emails and I really love it when they do. Uh, so if you want to send me an email, please, I will respond to you because I like to chat. So this email I got way back in the spring and I was just so touched and so fascinated. I have been talking back and forth with this person, Robin, since, and now she's agreed to come on and talk with me for everyone to listen. So in the middle of her email, she says, one thing I've been curious about generally that I'd love to hear from more practitioners about is when and how they got into healthcare. In one of your episodes, Three Types of Patients, you talked to two NPs who started as police officers. They're fantastic. You guys should check out just some podcast. She didn't write that. That's my, my <laughs> me inserting things. Um, and it seems like a lot of folks that you talk to have military backgrounds. But I'm curious about everyone else. This is my second career, and most of the people I went to school with were returning students from non-medical backgrounds. It may vary some by region or city. I only know this for city redacted in the south, uh, where I live, went to school, and now work. But I'm willing to bet there are a lot of us. In particular, I love to know what people did before healthcare, how they chose their current role, parentheses, nurse, paramedic, whatever, and what they can identify that their past careers or work experience taught them that they bring to their current practice. The last point I'm especially curious about because I generally don't tell people what I did before nursing, and if I do, I feel the urge to validate it. I'm in my late 20s now. But from 21 to 28, I stripped for a living. Before that, I was a nude model. Nursing is literally the first job to which I've worn pants. I'm certain that experience has made me a far better nurse than I couldn't have been otherwise. Physical skills aside, parentheses, being on my feet all day in sneakers is so much easier than being on them all night in eight-inch heels. Yikes. <laughs> Those IV poles are way too wobbly to dance on, though. LOL and parentheses. The emotional skills I have from sex work have translated so well into my nursing practice. I work on a trauma step-down floor, although you recently got a new job. I did, yes. <laughs> in a level one trauma center. And let me tell you that dealing with an angry 20-something GSW patients is comically similar to wrangling drunk men. Talking old men into some private dances just turns into talking them into taking their antibiotics and getting up with PT. <laughs> I'm very good at politely and kindly setting boundaries with patients, and I'm good at feeling out where people are emotionally and meeting them where they are in a way that facilitates therapeutic communication. And honestly, I'm resilient in a way that I'm not sure I would have learned otherwise. I'm sure people with other backgrounds have other skill sets that have contributed to the way they offer care, and I'd love to know what they are. I don't know what, if anything, you'd like to do with this information, but if you'd ever like to do an episode about what people did before healthcare, I'd love to be interviewed. I've got some crazy stories from both chapters, I can only imagine, I also like to just connect with anyone else who's made this kind of transition and we're hard to find since you can't exactly raise your hand in orientation and ask who else got here by dancing in their underwear. If you know anyone who'd like to talk about it, I'd love to connect with them and I'd love to create some kind of network or information exchange about how to write your resume, how to interview, etc. when the particulars of your work history are unprintable. So I... I was just so floored by that email because there's so much in there and it's, I mean, I can't even imagine how relatable it can be and yet how you can't even talk about it. So Robin, welcome. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me about all of this stuff. Uh, so you're a perfect person to have as the first new recording back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've been really excited about this. Um, I went out and bought headphones last night so I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, thank you. I went to a <laughs> well, physical fine. Best Buy in the year 2019. It's crazy. They still have those? Yeah, right? 
So you just got a new job. Uh, you were emailing. We were going to interview a few weekends ago, but you started this new fancy job. What are you doing now? Well, I actually start next week um, because I didn't uh, I didn't want to leave my current boss mid-schedule. That seemed very rude. So I'm finishing out the schedule she had me in. And then, like you said, right now I work on the trauma step-down floor. So in mid-surge, I'm going to be in the trauma ICU, which was my goal. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to work in the ER, and then I started working and realized I hate admit discharge. I like getting to know my patients. <laughs> I want to see <laughs> that they're intubated. Yeah, you know, they have families. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I like to see the same people when I come back. I, I like knowing what happens to them and uh, getting that continuity of care. And I really wanted to be in critical care, so I see you. That's awesome. And you've been a nurse for a year and a half now? A year and a half, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the new role. I am sure you're going to do fantastic. Tell me about every well, okay. <laughs> Tell me about everything. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so I guess first the awkward question is is stripper a rude word? <laughs> so, that really depends on who you ask. I don't okay. think so. That's that's how I refer to myself, it depends. It depends on context, also. Um, if sure. I'm feeling it out with new people, I kind of say, "Oh well, well, I danced, well, I, whatever." I think I used stripper a lot more when I was working, and it was kind of a, it was a defensive. It was like an asshole filter, right? Like you meet a new person, yeah. and you're like, "All right, this is what I do." If you're going to be weird about it, if you're going to ask me stupid invasive questions that are inappropriate for strangers, like, and now we're done. And it saved right. me a lot of crappy interactions. Sure. And I think I lead into it a little slower now because uh, it's considered unprofessional, even though it's <laughs> quite a profession. Yeah. I mean, I think any term or job title can be derisive depending on the tone of voice. You know, oh, she's a stripper or, yeah. oh, he's a mathematician. Like, <laughs> <Right>. Or, you <laughs> or, know, or doctors who say like, well, nurses want to do it this way, but they don't know better. You know, you can. Right. I mean, how many nurses have been called ass wipers? Right. <laughs> Strippers don't wipe it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm leaving. That's... <laughs> now I have to stay and clean it up. <laughs> That's not, no, no customers ever shit in my presence as when I danced. I will... People did occasionally wet their pants. People did occasionally come into the club having previously wet their pants. And so, okay, this is a medical podcast. We're saying wet, wet their pants. Obviously, we're talking about sex work. We're talking urine or well, we're talking <laughs> semen. So I've never seen anyone come in having already come in their pants. People do occasionally come in their pants. Sometimes they don't have the grace to leave after. Sometimes they come back and sit at main stage with a huge cum stain on their pants, at which point the DJ will play jizz in my pants and put the spotlight on you. Okay. So don't do that. Just go home. Okay, this is a medical podcast and a strip club tips podcast. No, <laughs> that's good to know. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, it's, I do both. <laughs> Educational <laughs> materials abound. Yeah, yep. Okay, so, but people have urin like urinated themselves and then come in. Well, I mean, that's similar to like if someone is drunk. Yeah, he told me there was someone with a squirt gun. Well, oh, it's not really, because they're asking me to sit on their lap then, and I'm not going to do that. Oh, um, right. And he tried okay, to tell yeah. me there was someone with a squirt gun. But, and I was like, just in the parking lot with a squirt gun specifically for your crotch? I don't <laughs> I don't see mm -hmm. that, but okay. Yeah. Is that a Nerf gun in your pocket, or are you happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think so. It's never been a Nerf gun. The cutest – Yeah. The cutest <laughs> time was a guy who was like – uh you know, this is weird, but I do want to take stuff out of my pockets before this dance. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, what do you have in your pockets? I'm thinking it's like a dildo or so because he's like, this is weird. And he pulls out and it's just a bottle of Cajun seasoning. He's <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's really hard to buy this back home. So I bought it for my friend and uh, I'm bringing it back to him. But then I got drunk and I ended up here. It's like, <laughs> that's really cute. Thanks. <laughs> I have a very spicy sex life. <laughs> <laughs> I do now. He's still in my shoes, you know? 
<laughs> now patients just have their um, no sodium seasoning that they're pulling out of their <laughs> scrubs. <laughs> oh, no, no. They're pulling whole sandwiches and bottles of salt like out from under them. Nobody- That's true. They're, <laughs> they're keeping the salt hidden in there when you're like, no, you're on a, a low-salt diet. diet. <laughs> Where did you get those four liters of fluid? You're restricted. <laughs> so how did you get into being a nude model and then get into stripping? Um, I mean, nude modeling, I actually just answered an ad in a coffee shop when I was 18. Okay. Because I had poor judgment and mostly I'm lucky. I literally just went to someone's house and was like, yeah, I'll get naked while you draw me. Okay. I won't tell anyone where I'm going. This will be fine. Okay. And it it was. It was actually completely fine. He was super nice. I worked for him for months. Hmm. Yeah. And then I look back on it. I'm like, oh, my God. But (laughs) So I am horribly insecure, especially like about my physical appearance. You know, Instagram filters are like (laughs) my favorite thing ever and like sweatshirts and scrubs because (laughs) no one can see what you look like. For me, like walking up to a stabbing and doing a traumatic arrest, totally chill as hell. That doesn't scare me. But the idea of someone seeing me naked, much less staring at me to draw me or paint me or take a picture absolutely frightening. How did you work up the confidence? Or I've always been amazed by the fact that women do that. (laughs) I just, I guess that's a statement and not a question. How do you get that confidence? (laughs) And I have some. (laughs) Uh, Well, you just, um, you just appear naked in front of strangers for what is it? 10,000 hours and then you're over it. Ah, the the key to being a success in anything. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. No, I God, how do I how do I answer that question for 18-year-old me? I think I just didn't I honestly just didn't think about it and didn't mm, Good question. I don't know. I grew up in the country. My parents are kind of hippies, so I feel like I was n- nude a lot later out of childhood than maybe most people are or like that was more acceptable among Sure. I I mean, I grew up in New England. It was always very cold. You had to be fully dressed. And it's a very puritanical state. So, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of turtlenecks. (laughs) So I'm sure that rubbed off on it. Yeah, true story. I I grew up up in the Deep South. I'm still in the Deep South. It's very hot. (laughs) And I I was on the swim team in high school. There was a lot of – there were a lot of, like, changing rooms and whatnot where I just – I'd been naked without thinking about it in front of – people for a long time at that point anyway. So it just didn't seem that different. And I'm also going to say that Instagram filters have nothing on strip club lighting. Trust me. And strip club lighting is flattering. Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) It's, it's mostly red tones and kind of low light. uh, Mm. If it's done well, I don't know why some clubs look, use blue lights. Everyone looks bad in blue lights. Weird. And that is the exact opposite of a trauma bay lighting (laughs) or an ambulance lighting. (laughs) all fluorescent. <laughs> yes, everything is so bright now. You everyone looks like they've had a 30 pack year smoking history even though you've never lit up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, how long did you do the modeling for? How did that lead to something else? I did it for a couple years and I lived in South Florida for a while and then I moved to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, which is not where I live anymore, so I feel fine talking about that. Yeah. And so I'd mostly, I'd mostly modeled for art classes, which is a thing that retired people do in South Florida all of the time. And so I could work a lot. <laughs> they don't really in Jacksonville. And uh, I moved in with uh, one of my best friends in the world who was a bouncer at a strip club. And I was like, well, I work naked already. Like, let's do this. Which was the first time I'd ever been in a strip club. I just walked in and was like, hello, I'd like a job. And they were like, well, you seem like you're probably 18. Go for it. <laughs> how how was it learning to dance? Because I did a strip, like a pole dancing class for like a bachelorette party. <laughs> and that shit's hard. Mm-hmm. The I, Yeah, it's just really hard. It's insane workout. Uh, I've always been pretty athletic. I will say my parents really to this day, don't appreciate because I never told them how well they prepared me <laughs> for <laughs> this career by putting me in gymnastics as a small child. Because you can do a full split. You can do a full split. And it's great. People yeah. love that. Awkward. Awkward is how it is learning to dance. God bless the experienced 
dancers at that club who would occasionally come by me on stage and be like, stop doing that with your leg. And I'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) And I got better. (laughs) I can draw so many parallels between when you're a new nurse and someone's like, no, no, no. Don't don't flush it that way or, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's so many things when you're learning any kind of job and it's all eyes are on you and you feel like, you know, you feel like you're naked, then in that case, you probably are. Yeah. Or as naked as the law allows. As naked as the law allows. Yes. Sure. I'm sure it's state dependent. Yeah, it's state and city and individual club standard dependent. Yeah. So how long did you dance for? All total seven or eight years. Okay. Everyone says, oh, the money's great. Was the money good? The money was good. I don't have any student debt. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to go cry now. Thank you. I'm yeah, on call I'm while I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. If I'd been smarter when I was 21, sometimes I try not to think about what I might have done with the money I made from like 21 to 24 because I genuinely don't remember. I'm sure none of it was a good idea. I'm pretty sure it was really fun. And God knows, like, like maybe I could have a house. I have no idea. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Just the fact that you don't have student loans, I am so impressed, and it is so far above me. Yeah. Yeah. It's why I waited when I graduated. I graduated nursing school two years ago this December. I waited until June to start working in the hospital to have one more. So where I am, like January to May, is season. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And you make most of your money for the year during season um, because it falls off so hard in the summer because it's hot and no one, uh, you know, there are no tourists, there's nothing. So you make all your money and then you pay your rent for like four or five months because you won't be able to make rent in August. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's a good time to to change over. Yeah. What made you want to go into nursing? Uh, So I thought I was going to be a firefighter. Okay. (laughs) Because uh, a lot of my family are there, all the other women in my generation are firefighters in Miami. And that I thought uh, that would be, you know, fit a lot of the things I was looking for in a job. And in Florida, which is where I was at the time, you have to be an EMT to be a firefighter at least. And so I did the first half of firefighter school and I did EMT training and I realized, oh, I, I like this. I like the medical side of it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, but I maybe don't want to be on a truck forever. And it would make sense to, that was when I first started thinking about nursing school. I did not go to nursing school for another four years after that. A lot of things happened in between. I, the person I talked about that I lived with, who was a bouncer at a club, um, he died in a motorcycle wreck. I ended up leaving Florida. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I think that's a lot of why I went into trauma. Yeah. Because it's the place where I feel comfortable. It has the most overlaps. Uh, just, just a lot of weird stuff and trauma. And um, you're yeah. weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Most of us are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but also that I, it feels a lot like appropriately honoring my dead too. And that gives a lot of, gives a lot of purpose to work to me. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that. And you also, I'm sure there's a bit of excitement and the off hoursness of it too that is probably a little bit of an overlap. So you talked about some overlaps as far as, you know, wrangling a 20-something GSW versus men at the strip club. Are there, what other areas have you found that kind of put you ahead of some other new nurses because of your prior experience? Well, I will say weird shit won't freak me out first and foremost. (laughs) Like I was at work one time, like several years ago and um, talking to two guys at the bar and, you know, one of the, they're both a little drunk, but one of them's pretty drunk. And you know how sometimes people be drunk, drunk, and then they kind of go off a cliff and you're like, whoa, you're hammered. What happened? Right. Yeah. That happened. And, you know, kind of look at his friend, his friend looks at me and I was like, you should take your friend home. And he's like, yeah. So they're getting their stuff together to leave. And the guy's looking for his wallet and he's hair, he's pulling stuff out of his pockets and he puts like some loose change and a Kleenex and a handgun and uh, something on the way. I was like, whoa. Yeah. And there's that, there's that immediate calm when you get the like, this is serious now. Right. Yeah. And I kind of look at his friend. I was like, you take that. I'm going to take your wallet. And I'm looking at the bartender and she's looking at me and I like rotate the gun. So it's not pointing at the bartender anymore. Um, and he like, hasn't noticed. He hasn't noticed that he has done this. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, you know, I look at the bartender. I was like, what does he owe? And she tells me. I'm like, okay. And I open his wallet and thank God he has cash. And so I just – I hand her the cash and I look at him and I'm like, and I'm going to tip her really well, okay? And he's like, yeah, whatever. Because you just pointed a gun at her. <laughs> right. And you don't know yet. Yeah. And you probably won't remember. <laughs> and yeah, you'll have no idea and your friend will have to tell you if he chooses to do that. Yeah. So, you know, when people kind of get wild at work or whatever, it just – like my coworkers were very sweet when I started this job and men would be they'll be inappropriate or people just they yell or they cut up, they do this stuff and you know, they come over, they'd be like, Oh, are you know, are you okay? And I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks for checking, but like that's not the first time I've seen a man inappropriately naked at work and I'm good, actually. <laughs> that's funny. At at one point I was at this party probably oh I don't I don't even know. It was after college, before grad school, and a friend of some, a friend of mine was this kind of ex frat boy type, likes to bust your balls. And I said, Oh, I worked in EMS and nothing really is going to phase me. And he was like, Well, what if I just took my pants off right now and like showed you my <laughs> dick? And I was like, That's rude, but it wouldn't be the first stranger's penis I've seen today. I would right. work. And the person was like, Obviously trying to just be an ass and like shock and awe. <laughs> Although I rumors had I'd be very little awe there. Um, right. It was like, mm, I've seen <laughs> yeah, worse. Okay, weird. Stop that. They were like, oh, you see people naked all the time. It's like, yeah, you can't surprise me with that. And you're disgusting. Right. I remember when we first started going to nursing clinicals, you know, nursing students are always shocked by nudeness and lewdness. And, you know, they're very timid. And I'm sure you were not timid at all. No. Yeah, it's. The boundaries thing is, if I learn, I don't know, if I, I learned many more than one thing, but if I learned one thing, it was boundaries and how that part is actually easy for me now. And it's easy for me to be in a patient's room and they say something creepy or weird. I'm like, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to focus on your care. And it's not now or anytime going to be appropriate for you to comment on my body. So we're not going to do that. And you actually say that to people. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much just like that. That's awesome. We need way more nurses that feel empowered to say that. And I say that in the realm of I know a lot of nurses want to say that, but they don't always feel empowered by their supervisors or their administrators to say that, or they don't know how to say it so succinctly and so forcefully, but while still moving on to patient care. That's a that's a great example. Yeah. And I, I will say I, my boss is... I honestly, it didn't, I didn't even think about like, what would my boss feel like nothing because it's in second nature in a lot of ways. And so I didn't consider like, oh, can I say no to a patient? Like, absolutely. I can say no to this man and I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's very supportive. You should be able to say no, but I know there's sometimes, especially with newer nurses, newer EMTs, whomever, uh, you feel like it's, you know, patient first and I shouldn't anger the patient. It's like, no, no, no. Staff first. Yeah. You know, if you can't, if you're not comfortable, you can't provide the right amount of patient care. I mean, there are terrible bosses everywhere, uh, but Sometimes people feel that pressure, whether it's true or not. And sometimes it is unfortunately true, but they should be empowered to say no and educate that patient on the correct behavior in a hospital setting. Yeah, definitely. I I took a report from a a girl who did like she's 22. This is her first job ever. She from the same patient who had been horribly creepy to her all night and she doesn't have that skill set. And like, I really I really hope she develops it. i yeah, it's hard to develop it, but the best way is to see other nurses leading by example and see what they do and how they get away with it and go, oh, okay, I can I can do that. She made it look easy. So at least you're there to hopefully allow her to emulate. Do your coworkers know what you did beforehand? Um, two of two well, three. Lauren's not my coworker anymore. Two of them do currently. <laughs> my preceptor knew actually before I even got hired. So I wrote my resume in because I have like no work history. I have no work history that I can talk about prior to this job. Right. And I I'm 29. So it's like <laughs> what, you know, if my boss asked me what I've been doing for 10 years, what do I say? Yeah. What do you say? Well, I say customer service. Like I wrote, I wrote my re- resume in this very kind of delicate phrasing, which was like customer service representative at... I and I worked at kind of a brand name club, so I looked up the uh, 
company name of it officially. You know how the mm-hmm. not that I got checks from them. That's not how it works. But uh, the name that would go on your check, and that was like a really generic company name. So it was like, okay, customer like service. Me Entertainment or something. Exactly. It's not even entertainment. Okay. The one down the street is, it's like RCI United or so, you know, something completely. Sure. Yeah. And then I, you know, I listed skills as like making people feel comfortable in high stress environments. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, whatever is- else I wrote. But, um, <laughs> It's so funny because we read, I was reading a resume or something, oh, for a student like preceptor. And it was like, work as a waitress at an assisted living facility, you know, works well in a high stress environment. It's like, oh, honey, no. Hmm. But like, that's legitimately, (laughs) that's very true. Yeah. So my preceptor, she told me this, I really like the way she handled it because I did like we're still friends I still text her she was awesome uh, I was very very lucky with her and I, ca- I kind of said something about her like made a joke about work when we were having lunch together one day um and she's like oh yeah I know I didn't want to she was like I didn't want to say anything to you if you didn't say anything first and I, I definitely didn't tell anyone but like I know because I saw your resume because she tried to print something personal at work and then sent it to the wrong printer. And so she was like desperately searching through all the printer trays at work to find <laughs> a thing that she, you know. And my boss, I guess, had printed out my resume. So she found it and it was like, oh, this is the person I'm getting and looked at it. And she read it and was like, mm, this girl's a stripper. Because she, <laughs> she also worked in service industry for a long time in the same part of town. And so you know, some years separated, but we went to the same bars after work. We knew a lot of the same people. Um, and so she's like, oh, pff, I know what this is. But I don't know. There are two people I work with now that are uh, my good friends. So she's not there because she switched to the ED like a couple months mm-hmm. after she trained me that both know. But other than that, I, I haven't told anyone else and I generally assume they don't. I'm still not sure if my boss does. I honestly don't know. I've never asked. What do you think their reaction would be? Um... Probably nothing special. I just, it's not relevant most of the time. No, it's totally not. <laughs> if if I don't it's know not them. an app, then it's not relevant. Right. <laughs> I don't know them well enough to be talking about my past anyway, so I just haven't. Yeah. I think most of them would, you know, anywhere from not care to, oh, that's cool. But, but also I've been wrong before. You know, I've told people and had them be real weird about it in ways I didn't expect. So I don't know. What is one of the weirdest reactions you've had? Um, If you don't mind me asking. I'm trying to think, actually. (laughs) Uh, There there are a lot of standard where people will then ask like very invasive questions. They'll sort of immediately ask like, how much, you know, how much do you make in a given night or kind of, it's one thing to be like, is the money good? And it's another thing to be like, how much did you make this week? It's kind of like, well, I don't, we're not paying rent together, so don't feel like that's your business. Right, yeah. Probably the weirdest one, actually. is that, So I tried to ask at the end of nursing school, um, this woman who, like one of, one of the instructors who had been really cool and she had done all the lectures on professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the standard warning about social media and blah, blah, blah. Like, don't post pictures. You'd be dancing on tables. And, and I never had. Like, I have a very... Uh, generic Instagram, right? I don't, so I wasn't worried about that, but I was like, I, I want to ask someone before I apply to jobs. Like, can I never ever talk about this again? Does this have to be a deep, dark secret forever? Do I, how do I write a resume? Cause I, at that point I was just like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. And so I, I tried to ask her and she wasn't mean about it. She just didn't understand my question, I think. And <laughs> I was talking about, she kept giving these examples like, well, you know, it's nobody can accuse you of unprofessionalism that you didn't do or whatever. She's like, if someone told you that I was in my office naked, swinging from the ceiling, I was like, but you weren't. That never happened. I was naked, swinging from a ceiling. Um, I wasn't unprofessional because I was a professional. Right. So. And I. I just kind of gave up after a couple of tries. I was like, okay, you know, thank you very much for your time. I am now more lost and I'm just going to leave. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I ended up asking someone else who was really great about it. But uh, 
yeah, that didn't work out. That's too funny. I mean, I guess I had such a hard time writing a resume anyways, and I didn't have to like hide what I did, but like still no one really even understood what EMS was when I was like applying for NP jobs. They're like, okay, like whatever. I don't, (laughs) so you haven't worked as an NP before? No. Okay, cool. You didn't do shit. Oh, well, thanks. All right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Please hire me. (laughs) Yeah. Let let me do shit. I'd like to. (laughs) Yes. I swear I'm competent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that ability to just kind of walk into, so I guess other skill besides weird shit is fine is, yeah, the kind of fake it till you make it confidence and the ability to just walk into someone's room and introduce yourself be like, hey, here's what I'm here to do. To be able to talk to doctors, to be able, because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of new nurses are scared of talking to doctors. And, right, yeah. Um, I work at a teaching hospital. I mostly deal with residents. Um, that, has, <laughs> that has its pitfalls, but honestly, I really like it. They're, they're fresher, and they're a lot less rude and condescending than the attendings are. And also, you can't show me a, you know, 27 to 35-year-old uh, who doesn't really know shit about what they're doing and is trying and expect me to be like intimidated right. by them. Especially because they're ex- insanely sleep deprived. But they're so tired. Bless their hearts. Yeah. yeah. I, their lives are very hard. I, if they're grumpy, it's because they probably need caffeine and sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I give residents candy on a semi-regular basis. Just like here, you, maybe this will get you through another hour. Here's what I need. <laughs> Sign my orders and you can have a Kit Kat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to be able to, a, lo- a lot of kind of talking people into dances or getting them to do whatever is making them think it was their idea, right? And kind of right. coaxing them into what you want to do without barging in and being like, here's what's going to happen. But you have to be able to read people and see how they would respond to different kind of, I guess, tactics of education, I guess. Yeah. And same with patients, where some people you do this really gentle, like positive, motivating, like you're doing great. That was really hard, but you're a trooper. This is, and you know, sometimes I've shut the door on a patient and been like, I'm not doing this for my amusement. Here's why I'm concerned about why you're not taking your antibiotics. I can literally see your scrotum rotting. Do you want that to continue? (laughs) I'm just imagining both of those situations as a lap dance, and that is fantastic. Yeah, not no. (laughs) Yeah, like the trick is you want to make people feel comfortable. And experience making people feel comfortable is experience making people feel comfortable. Yes. And you need to be, you need to convey information in a way that they will hear it. And interacting with the public, regardless of the information you are conveying, is great experience, especially when they are their most vulnerable, whether it's because they're in pain, because they're intoxicated, because they want to touch you or... Yeah. And, you know, people generally, men included for the most part, everyone's very insecure about sex and being in, even if we're not actually having sex, being in that type of situation, feeling, am I acting right? Does she like me? Like, what's going on? And right, a lot of people's bad behavior in those settings, too, comes from insecurity and comes from then acting out they, like what they think they should do based on some terrible cultural narrative they've been handed. And to kind of guide people out of that and be like, hey, no, it's okay. We could just be cool instead and not do all of that. That's a huge parallel to medicine. I mean, there's so much insecurity with patients when they come into the hospital or any kind of healthcare setting. And uh, there's a big power dynamic between patient and provider, patient and nurse. And I'm sure there is between customer and, you know, dancer too, when they're trying to get what they want, but they also are really insecure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being in med surge and being in trauma, there's an extra level of that. It's kind of the first place people land and get their bearings for a second. It's definitely not in the ED. And it's a little different with ICU step downs, but we also get a lot of admits from the ED where you'll get a person who's been in the trauma bay for the past couple hours and like everything's going on. Their family hasn't been close to them. They get, and then they get to this room upstairs. They have a room they get to chill for a minute. They And then they like realize what's happened to them. I deal with a lot of moms who they just realize it hits them all at once that their yeah. 22-year-old son 
who wrecked his motorcycle, like almost died, but he didn't. And kind of all of that comes out once they hit the floor and they're like, oh my God, what just happened? Yeah. All of the anger, the bargaining, the asking of questions of you, of them, I'm sure that's chaotic. Yeah. And I think that's why I like admitting so much is it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really ease someone's hospital course. Yeah. If you're able to do it right, to take them and be like, okay, I can answer all of your questions now. I like I have a minute and they don't in the trauma bay. Yeah. Completely reasonable. And be like, here's what you can kind of expect. It looks like you're going to surgery. Here's what you can expect from that. Here's all. Here's how you make a phone call. Here's here's all this stuff. Yeah, it, that's the same reason why I like end of life stuff because it's easing the transition and explaining a terrifying situation for people in a place where they're really hopeless or they're they're just so scared. Yeah, as opposed to a discharge when you're like, okay, you know the drill. You just want to. You don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> right. Get out. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to take your idea yeah. out. Here's your papers. Here's your wheelchair. Good luck. <laughs> See you next week, depending. Yeah. <laughs> Lay off the salt or you're coming back. Right. <laughs> so you said you had some good stories. Do you have any in particular that you want to share? My God. <laughs> well, from which from which career? Any. <laughs> I'm pretty open. <laughs> yeah. I think I just have a lot of discreet, like – I have a lot of silly anecdotes and maybe more things that are heavier, that are longer. So I also I also want to do end of life care. And okay. I think one of the most frustrating things sometimes where I'm working now is that trauma is poorly prepared for people to die, which is wild because they do all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we're in such a like gonna save your life mode. And that works so often because the patients are 16 to 25 and can really bounce back from like abdominal gunshot wounds. Right. Yeah. But sometimes they can't. And we, uh, we also get when people in ICU decide to take their family off of whatever interventions they're like, take them off the vent, take them off, put them on comfort care only. They get stepped down Mm -hmm. to the floor because now they no longer need ICU level care. Right. So we get sent DNRs from trauma if they're expected to make it to the night, essentially. And the last one we had was this woman whose husband had backed over her with a car. Oh. Um, intentional or accidental? Intentional. Oh. So he was he was incarcerated by that time. And the decision maker for the family was now like the 21 year old son. Oh, honey. Yeah. And I mean, he like he was doing his best and it just it was so much for him. And I love our palliative team. They're awesome. I wish they'd been consulted so much earlier. It yeah really was way too late in her course because she'd she'd been in ICU for almost a month and I don't think that, like, I know the trauma team that was with her didn't, it took way too long to sit down and have a complete, like, this is what you can reasonably expect prognosis. Right. Because once they had that, they were like, no, like, this is a woman that loves to be outside. She loves to hunt. She loves to, she's got no meaningful signs of life. Like, fuck no, we got to get her out of here. And once palliative got involved and could help us, then you know, we were able to get her home in like one shift, which turned out to be my shift and it took all day. But I, it was a day where I had six patients and she's just not, which is not how many patients you should have on a like acute step down floor. No. And especially not when there's an emotionally acute patient like that. Yeah. And I, uh, I feel bad for the other people I had that day. I don't remember who it was. Um, I didn't see a lot of them. You know, I, I checked in on everyone, but I spent most of my day doing this and it just, it was, it was just rough because it had been poorly managed, I think for a lot of it in a way that a lot of things came together when she finally went to leave that. And she left for hospice, home hospice. She left for home hospice mm-hmm. with her family. And I appreciate forever that the palliative, she's a PA, came back the next day and was just like, thought she'd want to know that she passed at like 3 a.m. 
Mm. which means she just wanted to be home. Like she had stayed alive on our floor on comfort care only for five days. And then she died within like 10 hours of getting home. Yeah. She just wanted to be home. Yeah. But part of that was her family. There were, there were two cousins um, that were really awesome too. Two cousins of hers that were about her age. She was 40 maybe. And they'd come, they'd come to help her travel and do all this stuff and get her stuff. But they also came to like collect her valuables because when she'd come in, she'd been wearing rings. She had all this stuff that apparently her grandfather made and those rings. So then they weren't with her. Like I didn't have them. We didn't have them. They weren't in the safe. And we we're like, oh my God, where did these go? It turns out early in her stay before like we at the hospital, anyone knew that her husband had done this. He was at the bedside and he, he like he took all her stuff. Because it's oh normal for you to give things like that to the spouse who's at the bedside. Right. Yeah, of course. But the family lost their shit. They lost their shit. Because they're like, he is in prison. He is going to sell all that stuff to make bail. He is trying to make bail before she dies because then it's going to be murder and not just assault. Like, they right. lost it. And they lost it at me, unfortunately, because I was there. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They... It was very understandable. And, you know, the only thing I said was, I am so sorry. And I get why you're mad. And that was kind of all I could say. Yeah. Meanwhile, you are busting your ass to get her home to die at home. Yeah. <laughs> but and I still like I'm not I'm not mad at the family. It just like it's still upsetting that that is the way that hospital course went for her and for them, where I think if anyone had been willing to take a look way earlier on and be like, all right, here's what you can reasonably expect from this situation. Then she could have, like, she could have gone home already. She could have passed more peacefully already. Like, there wouldn't have been this protracted, difficult thing for her and her family. Yeah, it's always so hard to think about when is it, when is the end, the end. Yeah, when is it the time to call it in? And we think about the social implications of when is the conversation appropriate to have? When is the family able to hear it? When are they going to just shut us out? And are we going to alienate them by having it too early? Yeah. But then we have it too late and these things happen. Yeah. And then, you know, the family is going through this great tragedy and yet they don't realize that there's a nurse who still remembers their struggle and their tragedy and feels it so deeply that... She talks about it later on, you know, yeah. it has a rippling effect. Yeah. And that, I don't know, that's a thing that I hope to work on in my career. And a thing that I was really, really lucky to have dancing is the dressing room is this space where you go. And, you know, this is not the case in all clubs, like not by far. And I, aside from the club in Jacksonville, which is maybe more accurately described as a biker bar. Um, I've mostly worked in pretty nice places that have like a good dressing room where you can go. And uh, the place I'm primarily worked here has like showers and counters where you can do your makeup, all this stuff. But it also means that there's a couch and there's space where you can go upstairs and go and sit with a couple of your friends and be, you know, away from customers and, away from management because they're not really in your dressing room and just have a space to sit down and be like, yo, this dude said some nasty shit to me and be able to kind of decompress there for a minute before you have to go back out and, you know, talk to the next dude who might say some really nasty shit to you. Yeah. And we don't like, we have a break room, but nobody's ever in it. And that's definitely not how we use it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you only ever chat with someone at like the nurse's station, but you're in front of everybody and you're right. working. It's not decompressing. You're not even supposed to have snacks there or drinks. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is what and, the drawers are for. Right. <laughs> Faking it. I feel like sitting on the couches in the bases in EMS was like the best thing ever when you go, oh my God, we went to this fucked up call and like, or, oh, you can't believe which of this just happened. You know, this asshole did this. And we did <laughs> yeah. get to decompress a little bit in the base. And that was one of the best parts of the job. And I think that's what a lot of people love about being a first responder is that brotherhood and sisterhood that's built in the bases when you're talking about everything afterwards with all the swears and the yeah. <laughs> colorful <laughs> language. But nurses don't get to do that. And as providers, we don't really get to do that now either because we're so busy. You don't get to know your coworkers as nearly as well. Yeah. I've been pretty lucky in that I, there wasn't 
there really wasn't like an eat your young vibe on my unit. Um, but even without that, you know, the more experienced nurses are, have been very helpful and I have felt like I can go ask questions and they aren't going to be like, oh, this shit again. You know, they've been really great. But the only times I've been able to decompress with anyone is with my actual friend. Like I have a coworker, right. but, you know, we're work buds. And so we walk out together and, you know, we can talk about stuff on the way out. But other than that, you need that time. Yeah. Cause we, like, we had a really rough code a couple months ago where this lady, like, she was awake, alert, and not quite ambulatory, but able to get on the bedside commode. And she, really needed an NG tube and we hadn't been able to get one down her because her, no, her nose had been broken. Oh, and like yeah. a bunch of us had tried and like, we just couldn't get it. And so they were going to take her to ultrasound and like guide it. But and this timing is like the fucking worst. So she got up. We just assumed she vagled down because she was up. She got up to the bedside commode. So she's like post bowel surgery. So she had an ileus. Yeah. And she was really distended and she like vomited earlier, um, but she got up the bedside commode and I guess she vaped because like she went unresponsive on the commode and then she aspirated massively and she did not make it. And that was my first code. It was nasty and I didn't freak out. That was my first in-hospital code. I kind of, I coordinated an overdose reversal um, in like a totally different setting outside of the hospital. Yeah, and, I, and like I was the first person on the chest, and I so I cracked all of this, her ribs. You, know, you feel that, like I could feel you, you feel it through your fingers and everything. Yeah, yeah. And then she, and of course she's just sort of like pouring vomit at this point. And so when they're bagging her, I can like feel it in her lungs, and I'm like, oh man, that's not. And she didn't make it. Yeah. But the only decompression we did is like we all left together at the end of the day, and we're all in the elevator, and somebody is just like. I might have nightmares and we're all like, Oh yeah, maybe. And then we leave. Yeah. That's not good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now that I think about it, we used to decompress while we clean the truck Yeah, and and the the drive back. And, and that was, even though you're cleaning up the vomit and the blood and the pieces of hair and the chunks of whatever, (laughs) um, scalp or bone or whatever, and you're making horrible jokes about it. You're also decompressing because you're kind of by yourself, you're cleaning, you're out of service, and you're talking with somebody or you're by yourself and you're cleaning while your partner's doing the report or something. And then you drive back and you're kind of just talking about it with somebody that was there. As I'm saying this right now and as you mentioned that, like it was so helpful. My regular partners who I did crazy calls with, I mean, I'm still friends with them to this day and it's been over 10 years because we got to connect like that and and talk about those calls. Yeah. I can't imagine doing something like that. You know, I used to always say I can't it was so hard to do crazy calls and then go do a dialysis transfer or you know go right. to a discharge, but I can't imagine doing something like that and then just going right to a med pass or toileting someone or yeah, whatever <laughs> med <laughs> nurses do cuz they do 17 million things in yeah. an hour. <laughs> Yeah, luckily I got to do a little bit. So there, there was a nursing student in there too, um, and she ended up taking a round of compressions. She, so she followed me, and I'd done like a few rounds, and I'd never gotten vomited on. Like somehow I got real lucky. So she gets on the chest, and like her first pump, it's a good one, and it just like it flies up and over and down her back. And I was like, oh my god! Oh wow, <laughs> she just that's got a- all down her back. And the, you know, oh. you're wearing white. You're wearing white as a nursing student. Yes. And so after it's all over, oh. like they take it, we get just enough of a, like a rhythm back to take her to MICU. So, you know, she can die in MICU the next morning, right? Talk about protracted endings. Yeah. Right. And then the transporter, like no shit, 10 minutes later, the transporter shows up and is like, I'm here for 66. I'm going to take her to ultrasound. And we're like, well, you just missed Well. Her. You just missed her. Uh, she's gone. <laughs> so it's helping the nursing student clean up, right? Like I was, I was bleaching her back essentially because it was just down. Oh, like the got. wipes. Uh huh. So I was trying. I was like scrubbing her back, you know, but talking to her too because this this is like her third day in clinical or whatever. Oh, that <laughs> poor sweet baby angel. <laughs> she handled it really. I hope she had somebody to go home to because it's like, are you know, are you okay? Are you do you need to go home like what do you want to do and she's like no I'm good I'm gonna I'm gonna stay she's like I'm gonna take a really hot shower 
get home. It's like, yeah. yeah. Mia, you definitely Something scented with lemons. Mm-hmm. Because then after that, I bleach her whole bag. We think we've got her clean. She reaches into her pocket for something. Thank God. Ah. With her, thank God with her glove still on. She reaches into her pocket and she just looks at me and she's like, it's in my pocket. Uh. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> poor girl. And I have like not a drop on me. I'm just like, I don't know how this happened. I'm sorry. Like no one would see it on my Navy scrubs, right? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We've all been there though. We've oh, all yeah. had fluids in our pockets. Well, that's a fun uh, story. Uh, <laughs> do you have a, a, a like a, a more lighthearted anecdote to uh, to wrap up on? <laughs> yeah, I have two. They're both. Uh, one, one's from the club and one's from the hospital, the hospital one. There's just a lot of like silly, silly stuff. Um, (laughs) with just like, cause we're, we're the sin two hospital for everything. Right. So just the number of like weird old people hanging out is real high. Similar to a strip club. (laughs) Uh huh. Yeah. (laughs) No. And the strip club, it's just like, there's every strip club has one old guy that sits by the bar and never buys a dance. And Sometimes he's just a creeper. Sometimes he's really nice though, and he'll he'll will buy you drinks if you're having like a slow night or like tip you a couple dollars on stage. He's always cool, you know. But he's always like <laughs> sixty plus, always. And that's just his local bar. Hmm. Every club has one. But um, no, there's okay. I lied. There's two because there was the old guy that he. Oh my god, he still comes in. He's been there forever. This is the hospital. He comes in for a variety of things. It's often dialysis related. His chief complaint is that his dick hurts. Okay. He tells everyone that comes in the room. Yep. Sometimes he sits outside of the room in his wheelchair. And so we send Wait. residents by him. Can I guess? Can yes. I guess why? Yes, please. Does he does he masturbate with a catheter in? No, actually. Because we used to have a regular that would do that. <laughs> and then it would get this we all the time. We used to go to this particular address and it would either get dislodged, something would happen. <laughs> All the time, oh, he no. would masturbate with a foley, and like it would dislodge, and he'd shove it back in, and then it would get infected, and yeah. he was getting like these potties, and it was like, oh, uh, and or you just walk in, and he was doing it, and you're like, stop it, stop. <laughs> right? Come on, there's stop. company. Like you didn't hear us come in. You called nine one one. We're not <laughs> quiet, right? <laughs> this is oh. the third time this week. <laughs> So we never saw him doing that, but I'm not going to swear he didn't. All right. No, he just, he he just wanted to ask everyone about it. But what we do is we send the residents like by him, like we find ways to send them by because (laughs) like, excuse me, doctor, doctor, I have a problem. And they're like, oh yes, I'm a doctor. What can I do? I'm a doctor. Yeah. And they go over and they're like, doctor, let me solve your problem. Yeah. What's wrong, sir? And they're like, he's like, my dick hurts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're like oh uh i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry you know they ha- they handle it a variety of different ways and it's really fun to watch what they choose um, <laughs> and i am not above pranking residents i get a lot of joy out of it so this is a this is a my dick hurts um story it's kind of related because of course i have one um oh yeah this is <laughs> kind of a traumatic story anyways so we, I was doing this transfer on the ambulance and we heard this call go out for a motorcycle accident on this very, very busy highway during rush hour. And we're like, oh, that sounds really interesting. But, you know, whatever. We are doing it. We're already on a call. We're, we're going to go to one. So we go to this nursing home, pick up this gentleman, going to this hospital. It's a VA hospital. So he's got to go through the city at rush hour. Uh. Like, it's going to take forever. We're like, oh, this is going to be terrible. So we package him up. And the paramedic unit going to the motorcycle accident is still not on scene because traffic is so bad. You know, it's we were quick. The guy was going for a UTI, but they had gone on the wrong on ramp. And so they had to circle all the way back around to go, you know, lower. So we're driving south and the accident is on the northbound lanes and we get flagged down by a state trooper and I'm driving. So I have to pull over on this extremely busy highway. There's not really much traffic on my end going into the city it's the end of the day. And so I have to pull over in the middle, middle lane because this guy is really critically sick. And so he had gone headfirst into a Jersey barrier drunk on a motorcycle. Helmet. No and helmet. So, 
Uh, he had like one of the, he had like one of the brain bucket helmets on. Oh yeah, but it was like not strapped in and like. Oh my god, it's just a hat. Face, it was like a hat, and he was just like smashed. And I don't know if I've told the story in the podcast before, but anyways, it's just me. My partner's in the back with the UTI patient. That <laughs> right, and so who's we mad that you're taking so long? Well, so that's where this goes, and so <laughs> I grab all of the stuff that we have and I'm hoisting it over these Jersey barriers and climbing over to the other side of the highway. And my partner's like, what is going on? And there's just like teeth and tongue. And this guy is just fucked up on the side of the road. And it's just me. This lovely nurse had stopped and was like trying to help him. But then she sees me and then she's like, I'm just going to go. And then Trooper's just standing there. He's not helping. (laughs) Right. And it's just me. And I'm like, I don't know what I just take the guy's tongue out of his airway because, and just try and clear his airway because he just mangled it. Um, And then somehow a supervisor shows up and then eventually the medic truck shows up. But before that, I was like, I need help. So I look at my partner and I was like, you need to come and help me, but leave the doors open so we can see our other patients so we don't (laughs) abandon them. Yeah. Because like this guy's dying. So we do that and (laughs) my partner comes over to help me. And we're suctioning and bagging and trying to get this guy on a board to peel him off the the highway. And our older gentleman starts yelling, what's taking so long? My dick hurts. (laughs) And he's just yelling into traffic, my dick hurts. And we're like, sir, (laughs) Sir. not the time. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yep. I'm like, I've like just pulled this guy's other guy's tongue out of his mouth. And this one's yelling, my dick hurts at me. And I'm like. They take it over and be like, can you go reassure my other patient? Just give him this. Give him this guy's tongue and say, right. hold on a second. Just hold this. I'll be right back. We'll be right back. So we ended up actually getting out of that transfer because we were soaked in blood. Everything was contam- contaminated. We drove the medics and this other truck came and took our truck on this terrible transfer like hours away. <laughs> It was great. Great man whose dick hurts. Yeah, that's kind of an ideal outcome for y'all. It was great for us. And that was the my dick hurts story. (laughs) I will say patients and families are generally pretty graceful when they realize they've been ignored for a code. Because like the alarm goes off, you know, and the code team. So people in the hallway can see like something is clearly happening over here. Yeah. Like every once in a while, there's some like total asshole who will like, see a big group of people milling around and come up to us and be like, can I get ice? And you're like, Where's my Shasta Cola, please? Right. And you're like, I would love to get ice for you. Yeah, let me do that. But in general, you can go back to your other patient's room and be like, hey, I'm really sorry about the delay on whatever the fuck you're there to do. Um, we just, we had an emergency, but, um, and they're like, oh yeah. yeah, okay, no, no problem. They're pretty chill most of the time. So what is your last funny strip club story? Oh, I was going to say my other resident trap was an old lady who oh. uh, had an entire photo album of every pug she's ever owned. <laughs> in her purse. <laughs> anyone anyone who went in the room was going to get trapped. Um, and I sent more than one resident into that room. Like, hey, can you just look at my patient? <laughs> she was delightful. Mama was nuts. <laughs> I loved her. Because she wasn't supposed to get out of bed. Uh, she had metastatic bone cancer. She'd broken her arm oh. just by existing. Um, they were afraid she was going to break her femur, so she wasn't supposed to walk. So I put a bed alarm on her, and she'd just look at me, and she'd be like, I mean, I see what you did. I'm just going to turn it off. Right. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> and all the pugs had presidents' names. They were all named after dead presidents. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. That was she was That's great. Funny. No, the last silly. So we hosted WrestleMania in the last couple of years, the city, and we got so many wrestling fans at the strip club. Shocking, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. They were they were great customers. They were super fun and really because sometimes we get conventions and whatnot, and they'll they're just there for work and they're kind of grumpy. But these guys, they all came with like their best friend from childhood and. Or like, you know, this is a thing where people are like, we watched this together when we were five and this is a dream come true. Yeah. And they're just like so amped to be there. And they're like, you've got boobs. This is awesome. <laughs> boobs and fake fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up getting a guy into one of our private rooms where I was like, you know, you could watch because then they were doing like a recap on TV. And I was like, you know, we could go watch all the highlights. You could tell me all about it. But like, I could be naked on your lap. Like, how awesome would that be? Um, he's like, yeah, that'd be great. 
but it turned out all he wanted to do uh, was lick my toes. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I mean, all right, that's easy. <laughs> so yeah. I end up, I watched the entirety of the WrestleMania recap because I was facing the TV the whole time because the dude's sitting on the couch and I had kind of like straddled his lap and then like folded my feet up behind me so that they were like in his mouth. And then I pulled over the little coffee table so I could prop my elbows on it. So I had something to rest on. So was, I was literally just laying there. Wait, I, I'm, I don't understand. Okay. Uh, so you were straddling his lap. Yeah, but facing away from him and like face down. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So I, cause I, and then I put the table in front of me so I could, I was like propped up on my elbows. Got it's it. It's like okay. if you were laying on the floor watching TV. Yeah. Okay. Over. I was thinking not that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the other way. Okay. Um, but I no, I'm really impressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not that flexible. Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm blonde. <laughs> yep. But I keep thinking, like, he maybe wants me to dance or do something. So I, I, I'll check with him and be like, D- you know, did you see this part? And he'd just be like, mm-hmm. And just put my foot back in his mouth. I'm like, oh, all right. This is easy. I can do this. Uh, but the thing is, he got multiple out. I, I made a lot of money. It was great. And every time he would go out, he would get a new peppermint to put in his mouth. And I'm like, why? Why do you need a peppermint? Yeah. Like, my only real question is, why do you need a peppermint for this? Are you worried about foot fungus? Because then you should get like a clitrimazole troche instead of like spearmint. But right. like, yeah. Um. Huh. I don't know. They were fairly new shoes. Like my, you know, I'd been wearing shoes, but they weren't funky or old or gross. Do you, so I'm going to ask a question about like vague pricing. <laughs> do do they pay by like what you do in the private room? So like would toes be a different price point than a dance? Well, so <laughs> the, it's like a flat fee for an hour private room. It depends on the club. Okay. Depends, some clubs give you better cut. Some places it's better than others. You know, it's like one of the things you'll choose a club on once you know how to do that. So it's like a flat fee for the room that they just like pay up front, you know, and then you get your part of it, uh, which is like most of it, right? The price differential comes in essentially negotiating your tip. Got it. Okay. So yeah, it can get more, it can get pricier, but that's, you know, that's part of being able to like, talk to people and kind of negotiate like, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds really fun, but let's do this. So yes, different things are different prices. There's no menu out front. Okay. Uh, were there particular toes that were uh, solicited or was it all of them? It was all of them. Hmm. It was all. I definitely went upstairs and washed my feet. And like we had showers, fortunately, so I didn't I didn't want to mess up makeup or anything. So I just like sat on the floor and stuck my feet in the shower. And um, we we kept a communal bottle of dish soap upstairs for like (laughs) sometimes things happen. You come upstairs and you're like, man, I just need to wash this off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I I grabbed the communal uh, like heavy duty soap. and was like, I'm just going to wash my feet. (laughs) Where are those nursing wipes at? (laughs) Right. Where were the bleach? I didn't even know how easy this was going to be later in life. (laughs) Instant carcinogens. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what, uh, which note was better to end on, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either. Yeah, he was really nice. He was really sweet. um, Hey, no judgment. (laughs) Foot fetish people are the easiest because they're always a little like, I'm into something weird, but half the time they just want to give you a foot massage and you're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get to take my shoes off? Right. <laughs> like, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Love this fetish. <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting me ask you all of these bizarre questions. I hope they were not too intrusive and no sharing your past. And it was just such a joy to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for hearing about my weird career path. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I hope I hope others listen to this and they realize that, you know, your path was not weird and theirs isn't either. I mean, we all come into this for whatever reason that we, you know, do it, but we all kind of share the same emotions of caring for people and, you know, trying to make humanity a little bit better and trying to make our systems a little bit better. So it doesn't matter how you got there because we all are doing the same thing, you know, in the end. 
Or or it does, because then you can bring it. Like I started a coping Skillshare group for nurses. Oh, great! In the city to try and to try like recreate some of the dressing room vibe, where yeah. you just get to sit in a room. Like this happened, and it was a lot. I I wish I could share that, but I don't want to out you. <laughs> <laughs> If I can figure out a way to, to do it, I'll like email you about okay. it. Okay. So like if you know of multiples in different cities? I don't. Okay. I don't I don't know if this exists anywhere. I just I went to a death cafe. I don't know if you know what that is. No. Oh, um they do have that in multiple cities, but it's specifically a forum to talk about death. And it's a community endeavor. Usually uh, some psych residents took it and made it because they went to one and then they were like, oh, well, people ask us questions as doctors and we can't really talk about our experience with death. So they made a, a provider specific one that's open to all providers. So I went to that and I loved it. And then was like, I want this to exist for day to day life. And I didn't really know how to make that happen. And then I met this really amazing woman who's been my mentor. And I was like, oh, my God, you would know how to do this. How do I do this? And she's helped me organize that. Well, maybe we should get it going in other cities. (laughs) Yeah, I'm more than happy to email you about it. Yes, let's talk further. Let's talk further about it. And if anyone is in their respective cities and would like to do it, uh, email me about it. And I guess that's a great segue. So email me at antidotespodcast at gmail.com. The social media has been a bit sparse lately, but you can always follow us on Facebook, us, me, at Antidote Stories and Medicine Podcast. I'm going to include a funny little clip of us talking beforehand at the end of this. Yeah. Oh, Instagram, Antidotes Podcast. Twitter, Antidotes Pod. It's defunct, but returning. It's been resurrected. So yeah, please share the podcast. Please leave some reviews, rate on iTunes. And I don't know when the next episode will come out, but uh, hopefully I will see you there when it does. So thank you again, Robin. (laughs) Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you. I will introduce you as Robin. And if I forget to, and I call you because my niece, um, (laughs) at least it's not your dog. Everyone's dog is named. (laughs) Oh, really? So (laughs) totally, totally uh, random story. Again, I have a cat named Oscar who's actually sitting next to me right now. He's kind of a pain in the ass. My first cat was named Elmo. I adopted him from the shelter. <laughs> this cat I found near an ambulance base, and someone was like, "Who the who wants a kitten? It's four weeks old, doesn't have a mother." My partner was like, "Who the fuck would get a cat from an ambulance base?" It's and me. I was like nineteen, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll get my other cat. Needs a friend." This cat was like a little grouch, so I was like, "Oh well, Sesame Street characters, Oscar." <laughs> the cat's now like thirteen years old, and he squawks, but. <laughs> he's such a pa- I dressed him up as a taco for Christmas oh for, my god for but I had a patient who I was doing a physical and she's like oh my son's name is Oscar and I was like that's my cat's name <laughs> <laughs> I mean I once said to a customer at the club who introduced himself as Glenn that's my dad's name and that was weird <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay.